I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the OBR. My name is Ian McBride. I'm going to be joining you today with Fred Greetham. And we're we're a bit of a different uh, setup Today, uh, usually, uh, I share a uh, a green screen and a, uh, a stand with the web dork. Unfortunately, uh, COVID has found its way into the uh, the McBride household, so we are kind of isolating here. So no uh, no no green screen for me today, which means no uh, camera for me today. You get to see just a, a little a pulsing circle that uh, that that will be me today. Although I don't think anybody's really going to be upset about not having to look at my face. Uh, but I am joined by Fred Greethen today. Fred, how are you doing? Doing great, Ian. Hope you can stay healthy. But yeah, we're on the eve here of our second eve of Browns training camp. The rookies are already going, and we're going to get up to speed. Everything going Wednesday, so it's football season here in Cleveland. Yeah, finally, finally football season again, uh, although we are still waiting for that one big shoe to drop, which is the Deshaun Watson ruling coming from Judge C. Robinson. We expected uh, for most of the offseason to have it by training camp. Unfortunately, we do not have it yet. There's always tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow is the last non-training camp day for that to go through. So uh, hopefully, hopefully we get to hear that soon and we can start talking about uh, how the Brown season looks. Uh, but we're going to talk about a couple of things today. We're going to talk about uh, the rest of the AFC um, in terms of, you know, especially within the division and then how some of the other teams have improved, how much of a um, sort of an arms race it's become in the AFC. And we're also going to talk uh, a little bit about um, about the coaching staff. So let's actually start there. This is something I talked about with um, with Michael Keefe last week, and uh, I was interested to get your thoughts on it. Um, so let's just talk about it because this was more of a talking point last season was Joe Woods and uh, to a lesser extent Alex Van Pelt. After last season, we, we saw some positives, uh, quite a few positives with the defense. What's your level of confidence in Joe Woods headed into the season? Well, I think that the expectations will be pretty high on the defense, and I'm actually pretty confident. You know, this is the third year now in the system, and Woods, the first year, he talked about it's going to take some time to get to what he wants to, to do. And he talked about it in the first year of wanting to play a lot of big nickel. And what he means by that is three safeties and two linebackers. And I think now they're a little lacking in depth as far as that safety. It looks You have your front three that were basically the starters last year in Ronnie Harrison, Grant Delpit, and John Johnson. But you don't have a lot beyond that, at least right now. You have Richard LeCount, who was a rookie last year. But I think that he wants to play a lot of three safeties, and he wants to play a lot of two linebackers. And I think that ultimately he would like to have Jeremiah Wusa-Koromoa and Jacob Phillips be those two. Um, Towards the end of the season, Phillips finally got back, 
and he was playing a lot. And they're both more athletic linebackers. I think they have Anthony Walker as well, I think, in that rotation. But I think he'd like to play three safeties, two linebackers, you know, in a lot of the passing down situations. So the biggest question on defense is the defensive tackles, but they haven't seemed to be that concerned, you know, at least up till now where they're at. But I think the defense in the second half of the season, I think the final 11 games, um, you know, they only gave up over 26 points, I think once. And, uh, you know, I felt last year it was the offense that really hurt the Browns. They needed to just score like 25 a game, which isn't really a big output. And they ended up scoring like 20 a game. And the defense really kept them in games enough that the offense could have won them. There was five games the Browns had a chance to win on a final possession, either run the clock out or or um, score, and that didn't happen. And a lot could be pointed at the offense, the quarterback, whatever. But I think the defense, you know, really has a chance to be uh, certainly top 15, top or tier in the NFL but I think they can be a top 10 defense last year, even though they had a, a, a bad first half, they still finished like 17th um, overall in defense and points allowed. And, uh, or, but, but they were pretty good in, in several other areas. So I look for the continuity to really be a big, a big deal this year. Yeah, and uh, one thing you can say about both of the quarterbacks that uh, project to be starting for the Browns, either Deshaun Watson or Jacoby Brissett, is they both take care of the ball, and that is, I think, definitely an emphasis uh, in in what they wanted to bring in um, at the quarterback position. Speaking of that quarterback position, this is going to be a pretty big shift um, compared to you know the history of Kevin Stefanski, which is you know Kirk Cousins, Case Keenum, and then Baker Mayfield as you know as like the three people he's been the offensive coordinator for or the head coach for this is a very different type of quarterback that they brought in with Deshaun Watson, Jacoby Brissett, Josh Dobbs how confident are you in uh, both him and Alex Van Pelt to kind of shift the offense into something that he's never really worked with before well i mean they asked for this i mean they they definitely have to I have to believe Stefanski was involved in this move um, to go get Deshaun Watson and the trickle down effect of to go more to the upbeat pistol offense with a mobile quarterback because the skill sets at least to the first three guys Watson Brissett and Dobbs are all similar they're athletic they can run they can use their legs and so that has to you know, play into the scheme. Um, the Watt, the Rosen signing, I think, is really, um, as Jake pointed out in his film study, you know, he's more of a, you know, maybe to be a backup in the case Brissett, you know, ends up being the starter for any length of time. But, no, I think that that is going to be a key, you know, element to what they want to do this year. Um and so if Kevin Stefanski hasn't changed or, or made the scheme different to this uh, athleticism-oriented quarterback, then, then they're going to have problems. But I saw that in the offseason. I saw it in minicamp. We were allowed to watch all practice. Obviously, they didn't show everything. But you could see 
there was a lot less three tight ends. It was more three wide receivers. It was more uh, rolling out, running out of the pistol, moving moving the ball around, getting the ball out quick, and um, spreading it around. So I think you're definitely going to see a different offense from the quarterback position, and I think that's that's totally what they're trying to, you know, go with. And I think that they're hoping that Watson wouldn't miss more than six, eight games. Brissett can be the bridge to keep him afloat until he returns. But you're going to see much more um, athletic mobile quarterback. And it's squarely on Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt to make sure they play to those guys' strengths. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, just for some numbers on that um, efficiency aspect of it. Last full season for Jacoby Brissett, six interceptions in 15 games. And then the last one for Deshaun Watson, only seven interceptions. So perhaps maybe a little bit more trust in the quarterback to run those multiple receiver sets. Um, Baker Mayfield, tons of other strengths that Jacoby Brissett doesn't have, but always kind of struggled with uh, the turnover problem with the interceptions. And I think that was uh, a big problem for Kevin Stefanski. Maybe opens up the offense a little bit more if they don't have to worry about that. And then obviously the the ability to run the football uh, as uh, from the quarterback position, which Baker Mayfield did not really provide. Uh, last question about the Browns before we move on to some of the other stuff, um, because obviously we're still kind of waiting on the Deshaun Watson news to really get a good judge of uh, what the Browns are, are going to be able to do this year. Um, what are you looking forward to outside of hopefully getting a Deshaun Watson verdict sometime soon? Outside of that, what are you most looking forward to seeing in training camp? Well, there's several things. Um, I'm actually writing about it tomorrow. Some of the things uh, more of the a season primer, and it starts with training camp. But um, yeah, as far as some of the battles we've talked about here and and on the weekly show, is you know the biggest glaring on defense is the defensive tackles. Coaching staff, front office to this point seems to have a lot of confidence in Jordan Elliott and uh, you know Taven Bryant, Tommy Togiai, Sheldon Day, and Perry and Winfrey. And we're going to see, you know, when they put the pads on, start hitting probably as soon as Friday or Saturday, we're going to start seeing, you know, what separates the men from the boys and and who actually is going to be able to handle that position. Uh, so that's one battle. And then you look at cornerback, they moved on in the slot from Troy Hill. You got Greg Newsom probably going to be the slot guy, but that means whoever, you know, the third cornerback is going to be the battle. I think Newsom Ward would be on the outside on first, second down. But if Newsom moves in, then the other outside guy, you know, would be either Greedy Williams or rookie Martin Emerson or even A.J. Green. So there's going to be a battle there for the third corner. And as I said earlier, it's safety. You really got to find some depth behind Johnson, Delpit, and Harrison for injuries and, and everything there. LeCown is really the only other guy that was with the team last year that played any. And uh, and there's a couple guys they brought in. But at defensive end, it's mostly, you know, in the at the ends, looking for backup to Clowney and Garrett. You know, they got Chase Winovich, they got in the trade, and then you got a couple of veterans, uh, Rochelle and Weatherly. So, you know, 
kind of looking all the way around, I think the defense, you know, really is looking for depth. Nine of the 11 starters returned from last year. On offense, the big the big questions are out at wide receiver. Who's going to be the second wide receiver? I think probably Donovan Peoples-Jones. Who's going to be the third? I think it could be Anthony Schwartz, especially now he's getting a chance with David Bell. Depends how long David Bell's out with a foot injury. He's going to start on Pup. He hasn't come off the list yet. So um, every day he's behind gives a, a chance for somebody else. So I think the slot receiver and second receiver opposite Amari Cooper are going to be something to look at. And, you know, the battle for backup at running back. You got Dearness Johnson and and then Jerome Ford and Demetric Felton. Who's going to emerge there? Is it going to prompt them to trade a Dearness Johnson um, or even a Kareem Hunt? And, uh, you know, obviously we want to see what Jacoby Brissett looks like. Um, he's probably going to start in all likelihood for some length of period of time, maybe even the whole season. So we're going to look at him quite a bit. And then, you know, every, everything else, offensive line, I think the big question is health, you know, is Jack Conklin, how soon till he's out on the field? Um, he'll probably start out on pup, but then you got Nick Harris trying to, you know, take over for JC Treader. So there's a lot of interesting stories. Interesting as compared to the past, Ian, is that a lot of this is depth. It's not really for starting positions. Most of those positions are pretty much set. And now it's just trying to develop that depth, which we saw how important that was last year. And it really hurt the Browns on the offensive line when you had uh, Willis or Jedrick Wills banged up and Conklin goes down and you had guards playing tackle. You got to really develop some depth. And Chris Hubbard coming back could really help a long way in that depth. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that offensive line. Definitely something to to watch. Uh, a lot of people that I know the coaching staff really likes um, that they're going to have to make tough decisions on, uh, you know, namely people like the Blake Hans, Michael Dunn, that kind of group that, you know, they drew Forbes also in that group, uh, as well as the seventh round pick Dawson Deaton, who they have listed at guard. You know, there's only so many spots. I, I, you all, you mentioned Demetric Felton. That's one I'm really interested to see, uh, especially if David Bell's out for a little bit, because it feels like he might get a little bit more, uh, as far as playing time, uh, being able to run that slot if David Bell doesn't get the necessary reps before the season starts. Um, and, I, I was always interested to see whether he goes uh, wide receiver running back where the, where the coaching staff wants to play him. So training camp, a couple of days away, we're getting there. We should, uh, we should start to see answers to a lot of our questions sort of forming soon, especially with the areas you mentioned, uh, the wide receivers and the defensive tackles. Let's move on to uh, talk about the rest of the AFC. Uh, something we haven't done as much, I think um, compared to last year where we were really kind of laser focused on, you know, how do you beat the, how do you beat the Ravens? Um, it's become a little, little bit more muddied, uh, at least in the AFC North. But we'll start with those uh, Baltimore Ravens. We'll start with Lamar Jackson because it, it was such a big talking point. Uh, how do you stop Lamar Jackson going into last season? And then he had the season he had last year. Uh, you know, there's reasons for that. He lost his top three running backs before the season even started, which is which is obviously, you know, not going to help a quarterback. 
but aside from that, you saw people kind of change what they did defensively against Lamar Jackson. Um, I think that Miami game where they basically, you know, they played like a, a Madden player. They just blitzed eight people every single play and, and was like, okay, what are you going to do about it? Um, do you think there's maybe some worries that Lamar Jackson has kind of been figured out? Or do you think this is, he's going to bounce back this year? Uh, you know, that it, it was mostly just the circumstances. Well, I think obviously Lamar Jackson's a great player. Um, you don't become MVP in the NFL, you know, with a fluke. But I do think, you know, in his first couple years, they get to the playoffs and the teams just shut him down. I remember the Chargers shut him down. Um, and I wondered why more and more uh, teams didn't just employ the, the strategy that those teams used in the playoffs. And even the Browns last year, I felt like they started to figure him out. He didn't run them, run wild on them um, in the first game. I think the second game is when JOK ran him down and uh, hit him after he threw the ball away. And, and uh, he actually was injured, injured his leg and never played the rest of the year. I don't know if teams have totally figured him out, but there's no question that his legs are, in my opinion, what makes him go. And if you can make him be one dimensional and throw from the pocket, I don't know if, you know, if he's the passer that, you know, that, that some of the other uh, players are, he, he sometimes takes off running and he can outrun everybody. That's why I think it was so important to get a guy like JOK and even a Jacob Phillips that can run and stay with, or at least keep, you know, Jackson under control. So I think the teams have kind of been on to him. Um, they did have a ton of injuries last year. I mean, they lost Ronnie Stanley on offense or pro bowl left tackle their top two running backs lost in training camp. I think they had 20 some guys on, on injury reserve, you know, that were key players on defense. They had yeah. like their two corners. And uh, I think the Ravens are still a very uh, good team and they might be, in my opinion, the biggest competition for the Browns. It's not to take anything away from the Bengals, but I think the Bengals, and I'll talk about that when you get on that, that they might be, now in full view of everybody and not under the radar like they yeah. were last year. Well, the other part of that is that the Bengals are moving from a fourth place schedule to a first place schedule. And, you know, as much as we, we all love talking, breaking down every last little thing about, uh, about every NFL season. But one thing nobody ever wants to admit is that that schedule matters. Uh, you're, you're replacing three of the easiest games on your schedule with three of the hardest games on your schedule. And that's, and that's just any team's going to get hit by that. So we'll be, it'll be interesting to see how the Bengals re respond to that. And the Ravens on the opposite end move from a first place schedule, I believe to a third place schedule. So they should have a, a little bit of an easier time. Uh, so with the Ravens, um, the other aspect of that is kind of how they've retooled the rest of their team. Uh, 
two parts of that is the defense. They have really added quite a bit of talent on defense. Um, you, you look at, uh, they, they added uh, Marcus Williams at safety. They added Kyle Hamilton uh, through the draft. They added Kyle Fuller, I believe, as a, uh, as a cornerback. And then they added Michael Pierce on the interior. Uh, and then they retooled the offensive line a bit, a bit. But the one thing they didn't do was do anything about wide receivers. Uh, they actually lost two of their top three wide receivers. They lost Malcolm Brown and they lost uh, Sammy Watkins. And so they're relying on Devin Duvernay, uh, who had 272 yards last year, and Rashad Bateman, who had 500 yards last year, to be their top two receivers outside of Mark Andrews. Uh, and their third wide receiver is James Prochet, who is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, he didn't exist until about an hour ago when I was researching their depth chart. I had no idea who he was. So um, I, how do you feel about the offseason they had? Uh, are you a little bit more worried or a little bit less worried considering what they've done? I think they really did well, you know, at safety, really upgraded. A lot of it depends on if Peters and Humphrey can come back full go, you know, at corner, because, you know, that would, with the safeties, that would make the back end really good. Um, but you're right, as far as on on offense, the wide receiver, their passing game was suspect. I do think this Bateman kid is going to be a good player. And, uh, you know, a lot of it is you you have Jackson. If you can force him to throw, nobody's really been able to figure out how to stop Mark Andrews, and that's who he's going to go to over and over and over, even more so than the wide receivers. So I think that the Ravens, you know, they're going to be formidable. Um, I don't think that they are world beaters. Like you said, the key, their offense runs through Lamar Jackson. And if you can keep him, you know, keep him, under control as teams seem to be heading that way. I like my chances. It's more their defense has always been their strength and you really have to, you know, find a way to attack and put up points, you know, against that defense. Yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be really interesting to see how that passing offense goes. Uh, 2019 and 2020, uh, you look at Lamar Jackson, he had uh, 15 interceptions over 30 games. Uh, so half an interception per game and that uh, more than doubled last year, 12 games played 13 interceptions uh, touchdowns went down significantly as well. And then you lose two of the top receivers. The other one aspect says how, how you, you're going backwards as far as he needs more help, not less. The other is if he's you know struggling that much, then clearly the receivers are not world beaters anyway. Uh, and then the, the biggest thing I think with the offense is they get, uh, as you said, Ronnie Stanley back and they'll get JK Dobbins back and, It'll be interesting to see. The uh, Ravens are the favorite, according to uh, Vegas. I believe the Browns were the favorite until some of those rumors <laughs> came out uh, about, you know, potential year-long suspensions for Deshaun Watson. Uh, it was, but it, the entire time, it's kind of been all three teams in a jumble. Um, but the Ravens currently, uh, according to most sports books, are, are ahead of the Bengals. Uh, and that's that's transit. Let's transition over to them because that's a little bit odd when you got a team that just made the Super Bowl and isn't even going to be favorites in their own division. Um, I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What's how much do you think the Bengals' success is going to carry over into this year? I'll just I'll just put that question there, and and I'll have a few things to add. But how much do you think is going to carry over into this year? I said it earlier. I think that they have a huge target on their back now. You know, just because you went to the Super Bowl, their separation in the division wasn't more than a game or two. I think they finished 10 and seven in the regular season. And we all know the Browns, you know, were eight and nine. That's only two games. And we can think of five, six games. The Browns could have won if they'd have just had adequate um, quarterback play and not turn the ball over. And even with Jacoby Brissett, if he just eliminated the turnovers and managed the games, the Browns might win a couple more games than they did you know, last year in the same situation. So I really think the biggest question for the Bengals is their defense. I mean, they're going to score points with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and those wide receivers and Joe Mixon. They targeted the offensive line. I mean, they got like three guys, which rightly slow, you know, to come in there and protect Burrow because I really thought they were going to let the young quarterback get beat to a pulp. I think he was sacked over 70 times like his rookie year or, um, you know, his ridiculous number and he tore his ACL. But to his credit, he bounced back last year and stayed upright. And then they went out and got him some help. So that's what it's all going to come down to is their defense. You know, is are they going to be able to slow teams down? I wasn't that impressed. They had a lot of last year. It seemed like a lot of retread guys that all hit, you know, Mike Hilton and Von Bell and Eli Apple, you know, guys that were highly drafted with other teams, but just really didn't do much. And then they went to the Bengals and they all came together and they played pretty well. And that, that signing of Trey Hendrickson paid off big form last year. And then, you know, they got, they got a lot of, uh, out of Larry Ogunjobi, um, he left this offseason. So I think it's all in their defense. Can their defense, you know, be adequate or above what they did last year, or at least as good as they did last year? Yeah. Like you said, a lot of the a lot of the defense uh, defensive players that the Bengals brought in, uh, you know, none of them were amazing outside of Trey Hendrickson, but they did enough. You know, you've got uh, I believe DJ Reader B, uh, and BJ Hill were also people brought in. Um in the past couple of years, they really it's a very veteran defense, but at the same time, it's also a defense that doesn't have a lot of talent. So it'll be interesting to see if they can uh, sort of redo what they did last year, uh, especially in the playoffs. They, they really came together during the playoffs, um, but we don't want to do nothing but trash talk the Bengals here. So let's let's talk a little bit about that offense. We talked last year a lot about how to stop Lamar Jackson. If you're Joe Woods. What are you maybe doing differently 
and the Browns themselves were probably the only team that didn't have a problem with it, you know, because they, they did fine against the Bengals, but everybody else struggled to stop the Bengals last year. What is, what is the approach you would take against the Bengals this year with that improved offensive line? Well, I, I just think that, you know, until you see where their weakness is, they look, you know, they look right now pretty strong. Um, I still think, you know, until Joe Burrow proves he can beat the Browns, he hasn't beat them yet. He's 0-3. Um, he didn't play in that final game last year. But as far as Browns probably played the best game of the year in Cincinnati and they just took it to him. Defense, they were aggressive. They they went after uh, Burrow. And, and even though they upgraded, I don't know if it's going to be a wall yet. I don't know if all the guys they added are all going to immediately mesh and gel and be the fortress. But I think that's where Joe Woods, you know, is going to have to, you know, kind of make the, you know, still force decisions to be made by Burrow get the quarterback. You got Clowney and Garrett. That's where, you know, they make their money is putting pressure and then sending, sending guys on blitzes and Denzel Ward's got to do his job on Jamar Chase or one of those guys and Greg Newsome on another one, but they've got three good, good receivers. So that's where the depth that cornerback really needs to come in. So I just think that right now, I think the Browns defense is in a position. I think they're stronger than the Bengals defense. So if, if they can control, and I'm not saying you're going to stop Burrow, but if you can just control and keep him, you know, keep that offense in check, this Browns offense should be able to outscore him. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that uh, the defensive strategy keeps up against the Bengals because they they'll be improving. Burrow will be improving. Chase will be improving. Uh, even if the numbers maybe aren't going to be significantly better for the Bengals, that offense is going to be, I think a bit tougher to stop this year. Uh, but the, the Browns had success last year. So we'll see if that carries over. Uh, lastly in the division, we'll just very quickly, we'll cover the Pittsburgh Steelers kind of not really considered by most to be a contender uh, right now. Uh, is there is there a part of you that's worried that the Steelers are, are going to somehow find another uh, franchise quarterback and be right back in the playoff race? You know, the Steelers have a good organization and they have a very good defense. That defense can keep them in a lot of games, um, and so they just have to have a little bit, you know, of the offense. I think that you saw last year the Browns. I think lost both times to the Steelers which I didn't see anyway last year. So until the Browns can show they can get the Steelers off their back, that's always going to be a formidable game. I know that everybody talks about the first four games being weak, you know, and the Steelers are one of those four. It's the third game. We're not even really even talking about them as much as their moves and so forth. But it's hard for me to believe that that, Pickett's going to step right in and be like Joe Burrow right from the get-go. So that would lead me to believe that Mitch Trubisky would probably start the season as the starter. And, you know, I don't know if he's, if he's revitalized, he's getting a chance. Obviously he's going to be very motivated, but I don't think there's something about Ben Roethlisberger, even though he was old and decrepit, he was able to command with his experience and do what need to be done 
with that defense to put enough points on the board to win the games. He didn't lose games for them, and they got a good runner in Najee Harris. Um, it usually doesn't seem like the Steelers stay down for long, um, so I'm not I'm not automatically writing two wins in the book against the Steelers this year because even rebuilding with that defense, they can they can hold teams down as we saw last year. They they ate up the Browns at that season finale, and even earlier in the year. You know, they played pretty well as well. So we'll see. But yeah, I, I just don't think I'm just not ready to say Kenny Pickett or Mitch Trubisky's the answer, or even Mason Rudolph for that matter. Yeah, it'll be um it'll be interesting to see. One thing I will say a lot of I've heard the argument a lot that uh the Steelers made the playoffs last year with um with Ben Roethlisberger and Ben Roethlisberger was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. So if Kenny Pickett's any, any better than that, they'll be, you know, a better team this year. As bad as Ben Roethlisberger was last year, he did two things really well, which is he got the ball out quick and he didn't turn the ball over. Historically, those are two things that rookie quarterbacks do not do very well. So it'll be, it'll be a very different sort of offense. Even, uh, even if Kenny Pickett ends up being, you know, ready to start uh, at the beginning of the season. It'll be a different sort of offense who that has different strengths and weaknesses uh, compared to the one last year. Uh, we got about 15 minutes left, so let's uh, take some questions. We've got some questions in chat and then uh, a few from Ask the Insiders. Uh, Darko Petrovic asks, what percent, percentage of snaps do you envision Clowney playing at defensive tackle? He thinks it's about 15%. Do you think that's something they're going to utilize a lot? Yeah, I don't know what the numbers were last year for him at that position, but I do think that that was important to get him back and might have played a little bit into their lack of aggressiveness of getting an experienced defensive tackle other than Taven Bryan is just because they, they do know they have the security blanket that they can move Clowney in. But I think that's pretty fair. I might say maybe even up to 20%. Um, but a lot of it depends on what those guys on the inside are doing. If they're, if they're not playing well at all, they'll probably go get at least another veteran. Um, but Clowney would have to step in the breach then a little few more plays because they probably have a little more depth on the defensive end side than they do at tackle. Yeah, it makes sense, uh, especially bringing in uh, Alex Wright, Chase Winovich, and like you said, uh, Rochelle and Weatherly, maybe people they want to get in the rotation. So we could see Clowney or Garrett move inside a little bit more than uh, we saw last year. A um, couple questions from ATI. Uh, quick one, you might – this is one I actually don't know anything about. Um, is it? Does the NFL still have any sort of COVID policy this year, or are we kind of just all off the books uh, now that we're kind of past the – the whole pandemic um you know not to my knowledge they the trailer they had us in last year in Berea is totally gone the parking lot that we were in last year has totally been you know used into something else so they're not planning on us we've been in the meeting the media room the NFL I think they realize that these are younger guys and I don't know what the stats were we know a lot of them had tested positive, but I don't know of any, any player in the last two years that um, had serious illness or went to the hospital. I could be wrong. I know Miles Garrett, you know, was, was breathing hard, but 
in other words, I don't know of any any player that really, you know, was really taken down by it. I could be wrong, but I think they just said, you know, we're playing on. It it was too much of a hardship on the teams. You know, we saw it with the Browns. You get ready to play the Raiders, and ten guys got put on the COVID list. None of them really were sick, but they couldn't play, including their top two quarterbacks. And and so there's no media policy. We were getting stuff the last two years, a month in advance that we had to have, you know, our cards and, and all these protocols and everything, everything on Zoom. So it's full steam ahead until it isn't. But I think they're planning. I think they're planning on full go. You know, starting Saturday, the fans are allowed in, and they wouldn't even let us within a hundred yards of the players. So you're going to let the fans in Saturday. And the last time I was in Berea in, in the mini camp, they had bought all these houses on uh, the street there. Can't remember the what street it was, but they bulldozed them all, and they. I think it's all going to be expanded for the fans the seating so i'm expecting you know more seating more fans there and everything so i think it's all systems go um unless something changes drastically here in the next you know few weeks yeah it's it's good to not have to worry about that anymore at least outside of the uh, mcbride household uh another question coming in from ati and this is a question i think a lot of people had um well, I'll just put it as simply as possible. Does the signing of Josh Rosen mean anything uh, in terms of how the Browns view the quarterback room? Not really. I don't think, I mean, I think he's a camp arm to be honest. And if he really flashes or plays well in the preseason, maybe he can be the third cornerback. He doesn't seem to have the skill set that, that they were looking for, you know, in the quarterback room. Um, I think he's a little bit more mobile, but when I remember him watching his film when he was coming out of college was he was more a prototypical pocket passer. Um, so I think that to be honest, I think he's a camp arm, he's insurance because you could have signed that guy before all the off season program. And he could have really, you know, been competing the whole time. To me, it just seems like a camp arm and also insurance for the Watson thing. So I looked at his contract. None of it's guaranteed. I think it's eight, nine hundred thousand. Not not really that high. And so it's a there's no risk. He gets cut. He doesn't get paid. So um, I think they're going to just look at him up against Dobbs and just see who's who gives them a better chance to be the backup if Brissett's the starter. Yeah, and I, I saw uh, on the Brown subreddit one of the one of the topics is uh, some anger that Josh Rosen is going to be number nineteen, uh, and I, my my reaction to that would be I wouldn't worry too much because I, I don't think uh, he's going to be on the roster. So uh, I I I don't think it's going to be. I don't think he will have the chance to ruin the legacy of number 19. Um, question from Brownie Elf. Uh, what is the latest regarding Malik McDowell? Have we heard anything about him? Uh, is he still even a part of the team at this point or, or what's going on there? No, he's not on the roster. He was a free agent. He was kind of like, a, I think they call exclusive rights because he had only played one year. 
Um, when he had his incident, I was told that he most likely would not return. I haven't heard anything about him. Um, I guess if they feel that it was um, a one and done situation, they would have they would have went through the situation quite a bit in it and uh, evaluating it. But right now, I think they're moving on. He didn't play that well in order to bring him back. Um, he would have been a great find because you had the guy with the talent, former high second round pick that you were paying minimum wage and you had him for at least four years. So I think if there was anything possible, they would have brought him back, but they must have found at least to this point that it's not worth bringing back. He didn't sign with anybody else. They could bring him back at any time if they so pleased, but I do not think you're going to see Malik McDowell this year. Yeah, it's got to be frustrating for Andrew Barry. You know, the two uh, on the defensive line, two people he kind of found uh, out of nowhere, Tack McKinley and Malik McDowell, for very different reasons, but uh, unfortunately will not likely be able to impact the Brown season this year. Uh, Tack McKinley still coming back for that Achilles. Maybe we can see him towards the end of the year, uh, but it. it I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, expect much. Achilles is a really rough injury to come back from. Um, a question that I, I hadn't actually thought of. This is somebody I haven't actually thought of in a while. But he is a free agent again. Uh, have you heard anything about the Browns maybe being interested in Sheldon Richardson coming back? Well, I've heard his name come up a couple times when everybody was talking about Nadama Kasu. I would be more interested in Sheldon Richardson than I would. Sue. I mean, Richardson's a little younger and he was a great teammate, great locker room presence. The guys really got along with him. Miles Garrett, you know, played next to him, liked him a lot. He actually, you know, when the Browns cut him his bigger salary and then he became a free agent, the Browns offered him more to come back and he went to Minnesota last year took less money. So I don't know, you know, at this point he's, he's still a free agent. So it, I assume that he still wants to play, um, but he has no offers. I think he's a guy on a short list that if it looks like Jordan Elliott or Taven Bryan or Tommy Togiai or Perry and Winfrey, those guys aren't ready to play or to, step in and do what they hope they can do, that he might be a guy they they would bring in. If you remember a couple years ago, Malcolm Smith did not get signed by the Browns until training camp, middle of training camp. I think somebody got hurt, Jacob Phillips or somebody. They brought him in middle of training camp, and he was the second leading tackler on the team. So I don't think guys like Richardson, it's not like they really need training camp. So I don't know how many guys there are out there like that. I assume Malik Jackson's still out there, you know, like he was last year. But I have not heard anything about Richardson. I think injuries and the play of the young guys will depend. And then how motivated these guys are to keep playing, if they really want to play or if they just want to, you know, retire. So we'll see. There's probably, you know, half a dozen names like that at all the positions that the Browns will look at if they need a veteran. 
somebody that's sitting at home that is hoping for still an opportunity. That's, that's what they do all the time. They work these guys out and then they bring them in if, if they feel they're an upgrade. All right. And uh, last question from Red Leader 74. How do you guys feel about our center? Uh, unique situation the past couple of years uh, with the center position. Um, and, and I think that sort of worked in Nick Harris's favor, right? Yeah, I think that they feel comfortable with him. He's what helps is you got two pro bowlers on each side. Um, his job mainly is to get the ball to the quarterback. And if they go a little more out of shotgun, that could be, you know, a question, you know, to make sure that you have good snaps. But he played pretty well in that Packers game. That was the only game he's played at center. If you remember as a rookie, he started one game, but it was a guard when I believe Teller got hurt um, towards the end of the year. But he didn't he he didn't play center in a game regular season game until last year against the Packers on Christmas Day. And he actually, and he actually played pretty well. So um, I think they the reason they brought in the former second round pick Posick from the Seahawks is to give him some uh, competition, but also as an insurance. They also have some guys like Michael Dunn, who's practice at center. I think Blake Hans as well. So they're hoping that that one of those guys. But I think Harris is a guy. You know, you really kind of catch lightning in a bottle. If you get a guy in the fifth round and he breaks into the starting lineup in his third year, that's what you're grooming these guys for. It saves you a lot of money on your salary cap and it gives you, you know, a lot of depth for the future. So I think Harris, you know, they feel pretty good about it to, to let Treader go. As we all know, they have enough money in the salary cap. They could have, you know, had Treader again, you know, in their budget this year, but they decided what's like, and they're hoping it's a lateral move. Yeah. And it, worth noting that uh, the Browns have a really good idea of what Nick Harris can do. Uh, JC Trader hasn't practiced or didn't practice, I suppose for uh, two years. And he was, he was the starting center in practice. So uh, if they didn't feel confident in how he was, they probably wouldn't be going with him uh, as a starter into the season. So uh, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, you will be back on Wednesday for OBR Weekly. Uh, I get to take uh, the rest of the week off aside from, you know, being behind the scenes. Um, but uh, that's that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, Fred, anything you got coming onto the site that people should keep an eye out for? Yeah, I got a training camp. I'm calling it a training camp primer. Uh, I'll be up tomorrow morning at the OBR.com. It's kind of overview on training camp and the beginning of the 2022 season and what to look for this season and some of the key questions, you know, that they're there for the Browns. So I think that it'll kind of get you ramped up. Obviously we're waiting on this decision on Deshaun Watson, which I don't know how in the world you can't make a decision. You've only known about this now since June 28th. So now you're a month since the judge sat in front of this. So <laughs> Taking her real time. I don't know if she's flipping coins. Okay. Two out of three, you know, six <laughs> games, eight games. No, let's go four. I mean, come on, just make a decision and let's get, get on with it. So yeah. thanks for tuning in tonight. Appreciate it. All right. See you guys tomorrow for garage beers and Wednesday for OBR weekly. Thanks for tuning in everybody.
This is Sandra Herrera from Attacking Third, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Golazo Network dedicated to all things women's soccer. With the NWSL expanding to 14 teams, the 2024 season promises to be bigger and better than ever, and Attacking Third will be along for the ride from start to finish. Before that, though, we'll be all over the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, where the U.S. women's national team is looking to clinch silverware on home soil. We'll also be keeping tabs on the winter transfer window, the Women's Super League, the UEFA Women's Champions League, and elsewhere. Coming to you multiple times a week with game previews, recaps, analysis, breaking news, exclusive interviews, and more, Attacking Third is your one-stop shop for the best coverage of the women's game. Download, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe to Attacking Third.